and welcome to another episode of Free Your Story, for Your Life. My name is Amy Kocek, and I am still here in the beautiful Vancouver, Washington, where it's officially fall. I don't know if it's officially fall, like on the calendar. Um, I'm personally just proclaiming it fall because one, it's 54 degrees outside. That's fall. And the leaves are changing. Today I was just, I was at a coffee shop and I turned to my right and it was like these beautiful colors on the trees which I don't think that I really noticed as of yet. And it got me really excited because I haven't seen a true fall in about six years. Because of course in Florida, fall just essentially means instead of being drenched in sweat, you just have patches of sweat on your body. And not to down on my beloved Florida. I love Florida, but it's hot. Um, so I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the cool weather. Um, Marley, not so much. I'm wrapping her in sweaters and a little jacket that my mom got her. So I am staying here until the end of October. After that, I'm not really sure what I'm doing, which is both stressful, but also really exciting. And I think one of the things that this whole entire trip has challenged me with, which is what I want to talk about today, it is allowing myself just to be and not to feel like I always need to be doing and planning and performing and moving and going. That there's so much value in just being and just doing. And these are like very loaded statements that um, that are made consistently. And sometimes without context, they can just sit as loaded statements. It's almost like I remember sometimes in church, like a preacher would be up on the platform and people would be like amening and being like, oh, so good. And I remember sometimes I would just sit there and think, yeah, but what does that mean practically? You know what I mean? Like, what does that really mean? Um, so when I would hear people say like, there's power in just being and there's power in just allowing and there's power in just surrendering and less doing more being. And it's like, oh, so good. You know, like an amen, amen. And then after that, it's like, well, what does that mean? How does that, how does that work in your life? So I, I in no way have figured this out at all, but it is something that I feel like I am learning. And I want to take you back to when I initially decided to, um, to leave, which this whole, this whole journey has brought up so much of my past, my behaviors in my past, and connected it to now. So I'm packing, I'm getting ready to leave. And anytime that you're making some sort of change, it's like there's all these expectations in your head of how it's going to be and how it's going to look. When you make a decision, your mind is automatically saying, oh, it's going to be perfect. I'm going to do this and it's going to look like this. And this is how I'm going to make money and this is where I'm going to stay, and this is my schedule, and this is how it's all going to work. And you're just, you, you hold on to that version in your mind because for some reason, we feel like the, the vision that we project onto the future is how it has to be. Like, it's like, okay, if I make this decision, this is how it has to feel, this is how it has to look. And then sometimes the minute that we jump into that, that decision and things start to unfold and they unfold differently than what we expect. Sometimes we can shut down or panic or feel like I'm doing something wrong because this doesn't look like what I thought it would look like, which is normal, right? Especially if you're not used to leaning into uncertainty and especially if you're still holding on to that level of control. So in my, in my own experience, I'm packing and I'm saying, you know, saying my temporary goodbyes, and I remember so many people like asking, like, are you going to document and are you going to share your journey and are you going to write and are you going to meet a whole bunch of people? And, and, you know, of course people are excited for me. They're like, oh my gosh, you're going to, you know, you're just going to do so many great things. And I'm affirming all these people and I'm saying, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to write every day. In fact, I'm going to vlog. I'm going to take out my phone and vlog and I'm going to, and then I'm also going to blog on my journey and I'm going to share as much as I can. And when I get there, I'm going to, I'm going to go to all these meetup groups and I'm going to, I'm going to connect with other 
business people and I'm going to make so much money. I'm going to be so happy and I am going to live the life of my dreams. This is essentially all the things that I'm saying as I'm getting ready to go on my journey. And it feels really great to say all these things, right? And to get people's reactions. Oh my gosh, that's so great. Oh, I'm so envious. And I'm starting to really feel myself like, oh my God, the world's not ready. You know, like Amy 2.0. So I'm, I'm driving. My first stop is in Baton Rouge. So I drive and it was like a 10, I think a 10 hour drive. Maybe it was eight. It was a long drive. Um, so I get to Baton Rouge and I'm sitting in the Airbnb and I'm so like, I'm still pumped. I'm on this high. So I'd been driving all day and I'm like, there's a city to explore. So I grab Marley and I go walking downtown and I'm still on such a high and so excited and still like, I'm about to live the life of my dreams. So I take Marley downtown and it's Baton Rouge has a really cute downtown area and I'm walking around and all of a sudden this fireworks display breaks out. Now this is like a few days before the 4th of July. So they're doing a big fireworks display and I'm like, this is for me. These people are welcoming me. This is how much of a high and how in sync and how excited I am to be taking this leap. So this is me with the, um, with the fireworks. display breaks out and I'm like, I'm continuing to walk. And we must've walked for five miles that night. And I had so much energy. I go home and then the next day I was able to meet, um, a friend who has actually been teamed up with me with my business for almost five years now. She's one of the most incredible women that I've ever met. And so she lives in Baton Rouge. So I contacted her. So we ended up getting together, me, her, and her son. And I went over her house, brought Marley with, and we had breakfast. And as I was sitting there and we were chatting, we started talking a lot about our history with the church because she has, her and her son have a similar history. Um, I think a different religious organization, but very similar in like the control aspect, the spiritual abuse, the manipulation, and they have been going through their own recovery process. And as we were talking, we were reflecting so much on how much that environment requires of you and how much giving of yourself that environment requires. And I remember her son um, and we shared in the similarity of being raised in it, like he was born and raised in it. And I remember him making such a great statement. He was talking about like how the, the preachers that would preach and his pastor was always so angry. And it was always this like, not good enough. You're, you're not doing right. God's mad. He's, you know, and, and very much like oppressive and you're not doing enough. You're not being enough. So we start really just discussing um, a lot of the things that we went through. And it was interesting because while we were sitting there discussing it, I was like, first of all, there's so much power in finding someone that has similar a similar story to you because it can be such a healing experience because it can make you feel like, man, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this. Like my experiences are not just unique to me. While they are unique, they speak so much to the human experience, which then makes me feel less of a freak. Like, am I just doing it wrong? Is there just something wrong with me? No, the more that you talk to people and the more that you hear about their struggles and the more willing we are just to share, the more that we can realize that we're all going through this human experience. And so many of us, especially from the religious world, have or are currently struggling 
from what was put on us. So had this really great and long conversation. And um, when I left, I did a little bit of exploring in the Baton Rouge area. And the plan was that in the in the early afternoon, I'm gonna I was gonna drive there to Dallas. So I'm driving from there and I'm driving to Dallas. It was only a six hour drive. But by hour three, now I'm like walked five miles the day before, woke up in the morning, did another two mile walk, went to the gym, like energy on 10. I'm driving to Dallas and three hours in, I'm like, am I going to sleep at this wheel? Because also I didn't incorporate the fact that, you know, like just moving in general takes a lot out of you. So you have your packing that you're doing, you have, you're saying your goodbyes. It's very emotional. Like even leaving my apartment, I cried so much in that process because so much had happened in that apartment that was both traumatic and both beautiful. So um, I finally get to Dallas. And while I'm driving into Dallas, the most beautiful sunset is occurring as I'm driving in. So now my energy is back up and I'm like, oh my God, Dallas is greeting me with this beautiful sunset. So now I'm like, oh, oh, the universe, all like the, the heavens are praising me. You know, this is, I'm living the life of my dreams. Even the sun is affirming my life. Um, that's how on 10 I was. So I get into Dallas and I get this Airbnb and I'm driving to find my Airbnb. I get to the neighborhood my Airbnb is in and I'm like, this is a, a interesting neighborhood. Not what I expected. Um, a little uncomfortable because it was evening. It just looked, it just looked a little sketchy, the neighborhood itself. But I was like, everything's fine. This is fine. So I finally find this house and the house was like actually really nice in the midst of like, not so great houses. So I park and walk up to this house and there's like <laughs> the amount of codes that I had to enter to get to my room. I had to enter codes in four different entrances. So I had the first entrance, which is the cage door. Then I had the second entrance, which is the actual door. Then I had, so then I walk in and what was interesting, first of all, I walked in and there was five people in the kitchen and I was like, good God, where are these? Is this a commune? Is this a, is this a hostel? Like, what is this? And I looked to the left and it looked like it was a dining room that was sectioned off with a curtain and it said bedroom one. Then I look, so the kitchen is open and I look past the kitchen to what appears to be a living room. And there's two like sectioned off curtains and it says bedroom two, bedroom three. And I'm like, what is this? So I walk in and like, I'm introducing myself to people and I'm tired and I, like they're being really loud and I'm just like kind of thrown off. And they're like, oh, like, what room are you staying in? And I'm like, I think the captain's room. They're like, oh, you got the nice room. And I'm thinking, oh, God, thank you. So I go back to the, the side hall, which to get into the side hall needed another code. And then to get into my room, I needed a code. So I was like, this is either really strange or genius because this whoever is owning this Airbnb is making a lot of money. Cause they were like empty space curtain. That's a room, a corner curtain. That's a room. It was like, I don't know how many rooms were in this mid-sized home, but there was a lot of people in there. So I closed the door and it's a big master bedroom and it's connected to a bathroom. So I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. We get in there and the air, the air conditioning. Now this is June in, in Texas. So of course it's hot, but Amy and Marley are, our blood is thin. And in, in my house, uh, the thermostat's at 80 during the summer on a really hot day, it's at 78. And that's being generous. 
So I'm sitting in, I'm like, this is, we are in the polar vortex. I'm looking at Marley. She's on the bed. This, she was shivering. She looked like she was having a seizure. She was shivering so much. And I'm panicked looking at her. I'm freezing. And I'm like, I don't even know where my winter clothes are because I haven't packed, I like just packed like a mini bag. And my big bag of clothes was like shoved in the back of my car. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just get in the bed. The bed had one sheet and the thinnest comforter you can imagine. So really two and a half sheets are on this bed. And I'm like, we will freeze tonight. This will be our last night on earth. And I'm looking at Marley and now I'm like, what have I done? I've taken this poor dog away from the sun, away from people who love her. And she's here on my journey suffering. And I, I sit on the bed and it's a combination of just being exhausted and like something happening on the journey that was outside of my expectations. It was outside of what I had planned for. Right. So immediately I start thinking, what the hell am I doing? Did I just, did I just ruin my life? And I know that this sounds so intense, but it was like, it was like coming down from like that high. Cause a lot of times that's what happens, right? When you make a change in your life, I can't tell you how many times I've made major changes and major choices. And initially I am so excited. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to do so many great things. It was like when I first started my writing business, the day that I quit the, the job that I was working, the day that I told the, the guys that I was working for that I wasn't going to work for them anymore. And I was going to start my own business. I literally came home and the guy that I was dating at the time, I was like, we need to buy drinks and we need to celebrate. And the entire night I kept like toasting myself. And I was like, to Amy, I'm about to be a millionaire. I am going to have an explosive business, right? And I'm just thinking, oh, I just made the decision. Now life is going to respond because with great risks come great rewards and everything's going to fall in line and everything's going to work out in the way that I see it in my head. And then I was like, I was freaking out because I was like, okay, I'm starting a business, but how do I get clients? I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, right? I just had that nudge that said, hey, this is what you should do. And I took that first step and I was excited. And I was like, now the world will open up in the, in the blessings of the, of God and of the universe will fall down upon me and everyone will know what a great writer I am. Then I'll make millions of dollars. And, um, you know, a month later I'm applying at Panera bread to make bread on midnights. I applied at Amazon to work in the warehouse because I realized that building a business or building something that's just by just with you is much more difficult than I had planned in my head. And knowing that I still needed to make money, like that I was like, I got to do something. I had a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, right? But because at the time, those two degrees, I didn't want to infuse them into anything that would lock me back into a nine to five or that would lock me back into an environment that I knew wasn't serving me anymore, wasn't for me. And they never called me back. Can I just say that? I was like, um, Panera? Did you not see my resume? Do you feel that I'm not qualified to need bread and to allow it to rise overnight? You know what I mean? When I got the job at Amazon, so Amazon had a warehouse that was probably about 20 minutes from where I lived and they were hiring for midnight. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. I can work at the Amazon warehouse at midnight. And then during the day, I can try to get clients. I can try to do writing. I can go to like networking events. This will help me make money, but also build at the same time. So I get this job at um, in the Amazon warehouse working midnights, and I'm so excited and I can actually make money. And um, so it was, I had to do online training and then um, I was supposed to go to my first day at the actual warehouse. 
So do the online training and I get my schedule and I'm supposed to start Thursday for my first midnight. It's supposed to be Thursday. Now, I've never worked midnights. So when you tell me your first day on midnight starts on Thursday, in my head, that's Thursday, like Thursday night. But in midnight speak, Thursday is actually Wednesday, right? It's like Wednesday at 11.59, and then at 12, that's actually Thursday. Even saying it out of my mouth right now is hard. So I go on Thursday night, and I get there at like 11.30, because I want to be on time. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. I'm like, where are these people? Is everyone else just late? These people are terrible workers. So I'm waiting and waiting. And then finally people are like going in. So I get out of my car to go in and people are wearing like vests. And then when they're going in, they have these like cards that they're scanning. And I'm like, was there like a tent around the corner where you guys got these? Like where, what are these? So I see a girl who I had met at orientation. I'm like, hey, like, how's it going? You know, um, where did you get all this stuff? She was like, oh, like we get it on our first day. And I was like, yeah, today. She was like, no, yesterday. I was like, yesterday. She's like, yeah, our first day was on Thursday, which is actually Wednesday, but not Wednesday. Mind blown. So then I'm sitting there like, oh my God. Did I just lose my job at Amazon before I even started? So I go home and my boyfriend at the time, he's fast asleep. I go home. I'm like sit down next to the bed, bawling my eyes out. And he wakes up and he's like, I thought you were at work. And I was like, I think I got fired. And he was like, you didn't even start work. And I was like, I know I was supposed to start yesterday, not today. As with all things, God knows what he's doing. And it didn't work out because it wasn't supposed to work out. But I'm I'm in Dallas and I'm having this moment of like things are like things aren't going the way that I felt they should have. And I'm feeling panicky. So I I go to sleep and um it took took us a while to sleep to get used to the um the Arctic tundra that we had found ourselves in. And um so I wake up the next day and I'm um, I'm going to downtown Dallas. Now, when I lived in St. Pete, St. Pete's very dog friendly. And I like to take Marley with me wherever I go um, for my sake, but also for hers. Maybe more so for me. I don't know. But I enjoy taking her to work with me instead of just leaving her at home. And she's done it enough to where she can just like, I have this little pouch that I put her in and she just sits. So I'm going to Dallas and I'm, you know, I'm on the journey. So I'm trying to pump myself back up. Like I'm living the life of my dreams. So I go, I try to find a coffee shop because I needed to get work done. So I go to the first one, can't find parking. I go to the second one, I found parking, but it was like, couldn't go inside. So I finally find the third one. And this is like after an hour. And I'm like, okay, perfect. I go inside, have Marley in my little pouch. I walk in and they're so friendly to me. They give me my coffee. And then they were like, you can't be in here. We don't let dogs in here. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, yeah, we, we don't let dogs in here. And immediately I'm devastated. And to be honest, the news itself wasn't devastating. It was just like, because I had been on, once again, it's this idea of expectations. The expectations of my journey are not looking like what I thought they should look like. So it's like every moment where my expectations are being dashed, I'm like, did I just make a huge mistake? Because they don't want my dog here. Like, <laughs> being so dramatic. I'm looking at them like, you don't want her? Or tell her, let her know that you're rejecting her. So I take everything. 
I go back to the ice box, which is our, which is our room. And there's actually a really nice desk there. So I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I'll just work from there. So I get work done from there. And then my best and dearest friend lives in Dallas. So we had planned to link up that evening. So I get a little bit of work done and I'm just, I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling shaky, all the things. And she says, um, well, I'm going to come pick you up. So she comes to pick me up and we go and hang out at this really nice area in, um, in Dallas. And it was another one of those moments, um, similar to the moment I had with my friend in Baton Rouge. I'm sitting with my best and dearest friend who our background is so similar and we've known each other for so many years. And she has been such an asset to my life since I've known her. And we're sitting at this coffee shop and we're reflecting in similar conversation, talking about healing, talking about recovering, talking about living our life on the other side of control, on the other side of spiritual abuse, on the other side of manipulation, like reclaiming our lives. And the, the words of the words of love, the words of hope, the words of healing that she spoken to me was like a breath of fresh air. And I hadn't, it's like the moments that I didn't like plan, right? Or like these surprising moments. It was like they were coming in a way to show me that what I had expected and maybe what I had planned really wasn't what this whole trip is about. And I'll give you a little bit of more detail along those lines. So when I left Dallas and I drove to Denver, I got to Denver, Dallas to Denver was a long drive, long drive. So once I got to Denver, I'm, I'm tired at that point, like physically, mentally, emotionally, all of it tired. And I get, I get to Denver and once again, so it's so funny because while I'm driving into Denver, I'm thinking, what sign is the universe going to send me to show me that they're, that the universe is with me, that God is with me, that this, that this journey is there's a stamp of approval on it that this is so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. And I'm driving and it's raining and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get a rainbow. I just knew it. I was like, I'm going to get a rainbow. So I'm driving it. I'm so tired. And I'm like, I'm like five minutes out and it's still raining. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'm getting rain. Maybe rain is my welcome. I'll take it. So I get to, um, I get to the place that I'm staying and it's a, it's a condo and it's on the third floor of the condo and I put my stuff down and it was, a, it was an older building, but it was so charming. So I decide I'm going to go on a walk again because by then I'd been driving for like hours. So I just wanted my, to move my legs. So I go on a walk and two minutes into my walk, I look up at the sky and this huge rainbow. I just got so excited because once again, I'm like, there's something special about this journey. So once I got back and I settled in, I'm staying in this really beautiful room. And the reason why it's so beautiful and I love natural light. So it had so much natural light coming in and it had this desk in front of a window and the desk in front of the window just had like a really pretty view. And, you know, while I was there, the weather in Denver was so beautiful. It was sunny almost every single day. The temperature, even though it was hot, it wasn't humid. So I just was soaking it up. So the first few days I was just tired. Like I was so tired. Even like the thought of like going out and going to a coffee shop made me tired. And so on some days I would go out 
and I would go to a coffee shop, but then on other days I would just stay, I would just sit at the desk and just look out and just like enjoy the natural breeze and just like breathe. And sometimes I would just journal. Sometimes I would just, they had this, um, there was this backyard area and it had just nice seating, but there was just such a nice natural breeze that would come in the backyard. And there were days when I would just enjoy not doing a lot and just sitting. And I did that for about four days and I panicked. I mean, panicked because I was like, I'm here. Like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I can't just sit. I drove all the way to Denver just to sit. What will people think? I gotta, I gotta be blogging. Um, I gotta be videoing. Why aren't I videoing? And I gotta go to cool places so I can video, so I can show people that I'm living the life of my dreams. And it was like, I kept, I kept having these like panic, panic, panic. And I'm like, God, am I ruining this opportunity? And I mean, the level of stress that I was putting on my mind and my body, I felt like I was like shutting down. And, um, for some reason, every time I would have these like panicked, um, panic thoughts, I would just go into a place of quiet. Like I felt like that first month, like the month of July, I felt like the month of July was such a quiet month for me. I worked less in July than I had worked. I can't remember when. I cannot remember when I worked less hours than I did in July. And I just did like a lot of, a lot of writing, like personal journaling writing. I did a lot of reflecting. I did just did a lot of walking around and all of it was just for me. But at the same time, I was still dealing with this inward panic that said, but I should be sharing it. I should be doing, like, I can't just sit. I've got to be doing something. So I remember one night, um, I was in tears. I was just in tears because I was like, why can't I, why can't I get motivated to do all the things I said I was going to do? Why can't I just be doing it? Like there's so much opportunity for me here, like to, to document my journey, to share with others, to talk to others, to do. And I just like, I felt like I, I couldn't. So I went to the back and I was like, um, I was in my doing mindset. I went to the back and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to grab my journal. I'm holding my journal. Cause I'm going to read something to you. I bought this journal right before I left. Um, so I, I grab my journal and I sit down and I'm like, I need a vision for my trip. Like, I need to write this down. Like, what is the purpose of this trip? What's my vision? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to do? I need to write it all down so I can make it come true, so I can manifest it, so I can do and I can get and I can I can 10x my life so that I can show everyone that I'm living the life of my dream, so that I can show myself. And I sit in the back and it's like late at night. Um, it was probably like right at sunset. And I'm writing and I start writing and I'm starting to write the things that I want to do, like how much money I want to make. And like, when I get back to St. Pete, what do I, what do I want to have accomplished? And you know, what I want it to look like. And, and as I'm writing, I'm getting exhausted, like literally just writing what I want to do. Like the vision, I was like, God, this is so much work. Like all of this is so work driven. All of this is so doing driven. And I, I, I swear to you, as I'm writing, I hear, stop it. So I put my pen down and I stopped writing and I took a breath and I picked my pen up again and I started writing and the writing now did a whole switch. And I'm going to share with you a little bit of what I wrote, but it says this year I'm being led to where I don't know, 
There are visions that I have, but they pale in comparison to what my reality will be. Great love, so much money and abundance, friendship that is healing and uplifting, adventures within, discovering, forgiving, laughing, crying, sights I've never seen before. This journey wasn't to do, it was to be. Look who you are being. Just allow and don't force. When it involves working or striving, you try to control it. You try to manipulate it. Just breathe. Do you see the signs? Just breathe. Love is guiding you. It gives me chills just reading it, to be honest. And the crazy thing is, and the crazy thing is that every single day when I would go out on these walks, I would just see these signs that would say, just breathe, just breathe. And I didn't know why, like breathe. And as I started to do research on the power of just breathing, how much life comes inside of you by just pausing and breathing. And after I wrote this, I went inside and I started crying because I realized how much of my life has been centered around doing and striving and working and pursuing always that it's always go and do and more and just sitting and being like, that didn't even like enter, that didn't even enter my mindset. And when I wrote it, I felt like this, <laughs> as interesting and as counterintuitive as that is, that is scary. That scares me because there's nothing that I can quantify with that, right? Like if I'm doing, I can quantify it. I can say I'm successful because of these things that I can see, because of these things that I've gained and earned and I hold in my hands and then I can show people. I'm good and I'm successful because of all I'm doing. Don't you see? Don't you see these accomplishments and the things that I'm doing? Love me, validate me because I'm doing. But when I switch it and I say, and I'm being told, no, just be. Like what your, what your life is going towards is not gonna require striving and it's not gonna require forcing or manipulating or grinding until you can't oh, keep your eyes open. It is being led. It's surrendering to life. It's surrendering to what is. It's stopping this rat race in my head that says, I'm not enough now. I won't be enough tomorrow. And I'll never be enough until the day I die. And my last breath will be, I didn't do enough. That that's where my life was headed. And after I got that message, um, I felt like I could breathe and I, it's, it's still a, it's still a daily chore for me to not feel like I need to go into high energy work because I was thinking about, I was thinking about the standpoint of my past and so much of the expectations that I had on this journey, I thought this is just going to be a journey where I'm able to meet different people and I'm going to grow my business and I'm going to grow myself. I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to make so much money and this is going to be all the, it was all doing base. Right. And I never incorporated healing into it because I didn't think that that was the focus of it. That wasn't my expectation. But once I got into it, it's like every part of this journey 
is like this consistent, repeated message of healing at a deeper level. Because even the conversation that I had on the way to Denver, right, those two stops with those two beautiful women, it was like this pre, the precursor, the preview of what was to come. Like the things we talked about and the life that they spoke into me and the focus of those conversations, it was all about deep inner healing. That so much of my, my time in therapy um, focused so much on the past five to 10 years, which I needed it. It was like I needed immediate uh, uh, the immediate addressing of what had occurred in the last five to 10 years and to really heal that, to feel like a functioning human being. Um, and at the time I was dealing with clinical depression, I felt like I could barely put my, you know, get my head off the pillow. And then my dad died within six months of me starting therapy. So then it was dealing with that and it was going through the grieving process. So I'm grieving my dad. And then I'm also grieving a life that I had walked away from. And I'm grieving people who had walked out of my life and I'm grieving a, a community and I'm grieving a belief system and I'm grieving a life that I had given away. So all this like grieving and it had hit so many of those points and had been such a lifesaver for me in the middle of the quarantine, my, uh, my therapist had taken a leave of absence. So I didn't, um, and, and I was really only going to therapy at that point as needed. And at the beginning of this year, I started saying, I feel like the next level of healing is going into my subconscious. It's going deeper. It's going into young childhood Amy. It is tapping into a, um, a part of me that I've long forgotten and a part of me that I haven't touched. Because the parts that I've really touched are the ones that like, it, they're conscious. I can reach for them easily. But a lot of the pain and a lot of the damage was done during a time that I didn't even realize the level of hurt or I didn't even realize the, the level of um, distortion that was occurring that would then impact me years later. So I started thinking about the, the difference between the being versus doing. And what it was within me that connected so intimately with the doing part of me. And that like actions and working and striving were so embedded to me, into me, that I know nothing different. And I started thinking, where does that come from? And I thought about the the teaching from a young age certain things that we say to kids and the way that we teach kids i think that we do a disservice to ourselves when we don't remind ourselves how malleable and pliable a child's brain is and also how significant that time period is in your childhood and how the things that you're implanting in a child's brain will follow them for years upon years. And they'll have to do the work to reverse a lot of detrimental teaching. So from a young age, I was thinking about the first thing that I'm introduced to as a child is that you were born dirty, that you were born bad, that you were born in sin. You were shaped in iniquity. So because you're born this way, God cannot love you. So he cannot love you this way because you're dirty and you're not you're not good. You were born evil. So because you were born evil, God can't love you. But the way that he can love you is if you follow this formula. So for me, from the stand, if you, if, if I think about how would a child receive this, 
right? Because you have to remember, this is a child's brain. So then the idea became, in order for me to receive the love of God, I had to go through these steps to receive his love. So automatically, the first introduction I have with love is that it's transactional, that I'm not good enough, but I'll be good enough once I go through these activities. And these activities will prove to God that I am good and that now he can love me. So, but, but then it's, it becomes counter because even when I've challenged this belief before, the statement is, well, God loves you unconditionally. And I'm like, but that goes against the teaching of that God can't love you when you're bad. When you're a sinner, it separates you from his love. Something can separate you from his love, which means his love is conditional. So now I have to go through these steps to prove that I'm worthy of love, but I'll never be worthy of his love. I even think of some of the songs that we're singing in these environments. The amount of times that I've said out of my mouth, I'm not worthy of your love that you're so much better than me. I'm filthy. When you hear messages like that, it puts you in a state of fear. When I think about how much of my life was lived in fear that I wasn't doing enough because it was never enough. Because I had to make sure that when you go through the day, did I, did I pray long enough? And when I prayed, did I pray the right things? Because if I didn't pray the right things or in the right, right way, or if I came before God and I didn't, I didn't praise him first, then will he be mad? Because I'm supposed to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and then into his courts with praise. But if I'm just asking him for something, then I'm wrong because I'm just being selfish. Don't just come to God to ask for things. Okay, so now I gotta, okay, let me make sure I'm coming thank you. And I'm praising. Okay. So now I can ask something. Okay. But you love me unconditionally, but if I don't feel your presence or you don't answer my prayers, then I have to question, well, is it because I'm sinful? Is it because I'm sinning? Like even when I look at scriptures that say, if you, if you look upon a woman in lust, you've already sinned. The bio, your body is an enemy to you. The biochemical response that happens inside of you, you're responsible for. So if I look at somebody and I'm like, oh God, it'd be really nice to have sex with that person. I've sinned. Even though biochemically, your body will have a response to something. And it's like, if I have a negative thought that comes into my head, I've sinned. But many times our thoughts, you cannot control them. So now I am, I am, I'm trying to control my body. I'm trying to control my thoughts. I'm trying to make sure when I wake up every day, did I pray enough? And then if I prayed enough, did I pray the right kind of prayers? And then, okay, if I went through the day and I interacted with someone, I got to tell them about God. Because from a young age, I'm taught that whoever's in your life you are held accountable for them. That if I don't witness to you, if I don't tell you about the love of God, if I don't convince you to be saved, then at the end of my life, when I am at the judgment seat in front of God and this person who I didn't tell about Jesus, they end up going to hell. Their blood is on my hands. And this is being taught to me as a child as a child. So the level of responsibility to do and to strive and to keep working and never just being because you're not good enough just being. Because I don't care if you're saying, well, God loves you just as you are. Yes, but all the other messaging that you're telling me is negating this message that you're saying that sounds really good right? This sounds really good. If God loves me just the way I am, period, end of story, move on. Instead, it's God loves you just the way you are. And here is everything that you need to be doing. It's like the idea of, well, God will withhold himself from you. God won't speak to you if he's upset with you. 
if you can't feel God, well, then what are you, what are you not doing? You should be doing something. And then when I think about the church environment, how I received affirmation was in the doing. Like you can't just come to church and not be involved in a ministry. You've got to be working because that shows that you love God. Because if you're not working and you're not in some sort of ministry and you're not giving, then that shows that you don't love God. You can't love God like that. That's being lazy. And God, God wants you to work, right? The, the fields are white and ready to harvest. God's looking for laborers. The laborers are few. So let's go. Let's work. So now you got to be involved in every ministry possible because you can't just sit. Because if you sit, you're lazy and you're selfish. So now you got to do, right? So you got to be at church all the time because you got to be doing these ministries. You got to be working. This is God's work. This is not the church. This is not man's work. God's asking you to do all these things, not man. And then in your day to day, what are you doing for God today? What are you doing to prove yourself to God? And then when God gives you his love, when God gives you blessings, you can't just hold on to them. That's selfish. You have to give them. So even receiving love, became transactional. And I don't even know if that was love. Receiving something, receiving a feel, whatever you were receiving, you needed to give it. Sometimes I really struggle with this concept because I think it's easy. I think it's easy to say, especially when someone comes out of the church environment and they're tired. A lot of times people come out of the church environment and it's just frustration. It's like, I don't, I'm at the end of my rope. I feel like I've done it all. What more is there to do? I've been, I've been involved in all the ministries. I did the, the Saturday morning door knocking. I did all the special services. I taught Sunday school. I gave 10% of my income plus offering. I've you know, I fast, I pray, I read my Bible. I'm doing that every day, but yet, and still it's not enough. It's not enough. Even thinking about the way that these things were taught, right? Like spiritual disciplines, things that you need to do. Like I need to do these things so that I can deepen my relationship with God, whatever that meant. So these, the, this doing is what helps me get to know the other person. It's what helped me get to know God better. And help, what's helping me to increase my love. So the more that I'm doing, the more that I'm, the more that I'm receiving his love, the more that I'm feeling his love. And it's just in the doing and the doing and the doing do more. But for me, my doing didn't make me feel closer to God. My doing made me feel exhausted. It made me feel unfulfilled. It made me feel disillusioned. Being, being introduced to God, the concept of God at such a young age, God became people really quickly because I'm a kid. And so when you say that God loves you and then I'm in Sunday school and it's just so vivid. I remember this so vividly. We're in Sunday school and I remember the Sunday school teacher had um, water, just regular water. And then she had water with dye in it. So she was saying the clear water, she was like, this is, this is God. And God is pure and clean and he's perfect. And then on the other side, she said, this is you, you're sinful and you're dirty and you need to be cleaned up because you were born dirty. So when you, 
obviously it's following this plan of salvation, right? So every church has a different version of what that plan of salvation is. Right? For, for the church that I attended was, you know, you had to admit that you were a sinner and then you had to repent. You had to apologize for being such a terrible person and that you were born awful and you had to acknowledge that I'm a terrible person. And the crazy thing is, is how powerful words are. If you're having a child say, I'm a bad person, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough for God. God doesn't love me right now. But I don't like, and I don't care how many people say God loves you unconditionally when you teach the opposite. God loves you unconditionally, but here's the conditions to really receive his love. If I'm a child and I'm I'm saying these words out of my mouth at that age, what is that doing to my mind? What is that teaching me about me? What is what kind of disconnection is that keeping from me? Because what I'm doing is at such a young age, I am separating me from me. And I'm automatically saying, oh God, this, this vessel, this person that I am right now, it's not, it's not good. It's not good. And then after that, after you repent, then you're supposed to get baptized and you have to be baptized in Jesus name. You can't be baptized in the father, son, and the Holy ghost. And you go, you get baptized and that's supposed to wash your sins away. Then after your sins get washed away, you have to pray for the Holy ghost. Cause that's you speaking in tongues. And that's evidence. That's the doing. That's the doing that is supposed to be a public proclamation that you are saved. That shows God and everyone else that you are saved is that you're speaking in tongues. Until you speak in tongues, you're not saved. You're not approved. God has not approved of you yet. But when you speak in tongues, that's your approval. And here's the catch. Once you get saved, we used to always say, you're not once saved, always saved. That means that every day you have to strive to remain saved. So there's never just a being. So even after you get saved, it's never just a, okay, now I'm good. It's, no, you're still not good. Every day you got to wake up and you got to make sure you're saved. So what are the saved activities that you can do to prove, right? Even in the way that we dressed, it was the doing. It was the showing, hey, I'm doing this God thing. And you can tell because here's the quantifiable proof. So now I feel like I'm being shifted into a stage of my life that there's no quantifiable proof to anyone else but me. That what I am seeking is not a physical representation of living the life of my dreams. Because living the life of my dreams is just me being able to wake up and knowing that I am good just being me. That I'm not good if I wake up and do A, B, and C. That I'm not, I'm not lovable once I do this for somebody, once I say, once I send this text, once I give this money, once I, I wake up and I'm validated and I'm loved and I'm affirmed if I just sit there and stare out the window. That I am being led by love. And love just is. There's this simple phrase that we used to say all the time, and it's just God is love. So it's not God giving me love. God is love. So in my loving, I am God. If God is love, then when I am loving, I am God. I am the most God when I am love. Not when I'm doing things that are love. Not when I'm trying to earn what I view as love. When I just wake up and I am love. When I breathe it and I see it and I operate in it. So many times on this journey when I get panicked, I talk to my dad so much who was such the embodiment of love in so many ways. And I'll, I'll panic and I'll say, dad, what am I doing? Like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? It's always, the, it's always the question, right? Like, should I be doing something? What's the doing? And my dad will always say, 
Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. And I remind myself that the journey is not about doing. The journey is about being. And if I want to live the life of my dreams, if I want to be God and be close to God and be spiritual and be connected to nature and myself and people around me, then, then the task is being love. And that's it. That's it. I feel like everything else that was infused into religion, into church, God distorted so much beauty, distorted so much into a performance-based factory, <laughs> workhorse type of environment that I feel like veers people so far away from what the true essence of the gospel is, which is love. And love is simple and it is personal and it is singular to the person that's experiencing it. And all the things that we use to show the doing of our lives many times are not rooted in love. It's rooted in sometimes, for, especially for me, it's rooted in a lack of love. It's rooted in anxiety. It's rooted in insecurity. It's rooted in needing affirmation and validation for other, from other people instead of just being. So I feel like that phrase, doing versus being, spend more time being than you are doing. That looks different for everyone. I think it's such a necessary process in our growth, whatever that looks like. And especially in our healing, if you're on a healing journey, I feel like that's so essential. What happens to us when we're born is Sometimes the messaging can be so loud and clear that you're not enough, that from birth, there's something wrong with you. And love is given when you do. I think one of the most difficult things in this transition of just being is receiving love without already trying to negotiate in my mind. How do I give this back? How do I one up this? Oh, you sent me a nice message that was a paragraph? I'll send you a book. Oh, you sent me $10 to help me out? I'll send you a thousand. Because when you move away from the transactional version of love that says love is earned, not given, and you move to love is given, not earned, and you wake up every day and you acknowledge the fact that you are love, and you get to sit in that all day, it can completely shift the way you live your life. And for some of you, it may be super foreign because I know for me, it's very foreign. So whatever that journey looks like, it is unique to you. And it is so attached to how you grew up, to the trauma you endured, to the relationships that you've had. And that shift's not easy, but at the same time, it takes so much pressure off life and it allows you to just live life in the beauty that life was intended. Because at the end of today, if you don't have a list of doing, if you don't have a to-do list that's all been crossed off, if you don't have millions of dollars in your bank, if you're not living in your dream home or driving your dream car, but today you walked outside and you took a breath and you thought, God, it's so good to be alive. Wherever I'm at right now, it feels good to be alive. And I love the people in my life. And you shower the people in your life with love just because you love them. And you give yourself love just because you are, just because you're breathing and you're moving and you're living. That's living the life of my dreams because I don't wanna spend the rest of my life striving. Because at the end of that striving, I think that what I'll find is a watered down version of Amy that's tired and burnt out and completely unfulfilled. But the other side, when I learn how to just be and live, 
and be love. Amy is love. God is love. Then at the end of that, it's everything I ever wanted, truly wanted and desired, and even more. I hope you enjoyed our time together and the stories that were shared. If you have similar experiences, similar stories, if you're in a being versus doing mentality, share your journey with me, share your story. Um, Whether that be through the comments or contacting me on um, social media, I love hearing your feedback um, about what your journey, what's going on with you with this topic. Um, even if this is a new topic for you, what are your thoughts? Where where are you coming from in this? Um, because I love talking about life's journeys and where we are all going and where we currently are. So I hope to hear from you all. Thank you so much for joining me. And I will see you next time on another episode of Free Your Story, Free Your Life.